The following program is a Forbes and Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Denise Ristari, and you're listening to Mentoring Moments, a podcast where smart, witty, and bold women are sharing their triumphs and their skids. We aren't just talking, we're taking action. And we're inviting you to join us every week in my New York City apartment. Okay, and here's an action that will support Mentoring Moments. You can help keep Mentoring Moments free by taking a very simple survey. It's short and it's anonymous. It takes less than five minutes and there are two ways to do it. Go to podcastone.com forward slash my survey or go to podcastone.com and click on the survey banner. As always, huge, huge thanks for supporting Mentoring Moments. We couldn't do it without you. And sitting across from me is Kimra Luna. We're at the table, at the famous kitchen table. So Kimra is 30 years old and the mother of three boys. And I'm not going to bury the headline here. Here's the headline. Three years ago, she went from food stamps to internet millionaire. She is a personal branding and social media expert. I need you, Kimra. I really need you. And she help, she's helping others start their online businesses around their personal strengths. And it's not just millennials that Kimra's working with. She's working with people in their 70s. So there's hope for me because I'm not there yet. I'm not in my 70s yet. So with her multicolored hair, when you see pictures of her, it's blue, it's lavender nail, and her punk rock style and her facial piercings, Kimra is making millions while being true to herself. So we're going to talk about how Kimra did all of this and how you can too and how you can free yourself from being in a boring J-O-B. So Kimra, welcome. Thank you for having me. Very excited to to be here and share with everybody. I, I'm very excited for you. So I'll kick it off with a mentoring moment. I was at Pilates and, okay, so we have this class that is very popular. It's one of those classes you can only book 30 days out. Okay, so you can't like book a year and say, I'm going to take this class for a whole entire year. You have to book 30 days out. So the class fills up really quickly, but there's five of us that have been in this class now for a year and a half. And we always manage to sign up in time. Well, now somebody else has started to sign up before the five of us can get into class. So we have an intruder in our class, which means that one of us can't take the class. So does that make sense? Like the last person who signs up, we're, we're one person too late. The intruder has taken a spot. So we get to the class, the first class where the intruders in, and one of our normal people is not are not there, and everybody is treating the intruder like she's contagious with something we don't want to catch, right? I mean, everybody, no one's being nice to her. They're not being mean, but no one's welcoming her. And I sat there and I thought, how? If this sounds stupid, that's why I'm telling the story because it's stupid. How stupid is it to spend time and energy? on something that is a Pilates class, when everything else is going on in the world, when we need to be kind to each other and support each other, here we are treating this woman because she signed up before someone else did. She did nothing wrong, right? I mean, the system is built that way. She got there first. And everyone's treating her like she really has some disease that we don't want to catch. So that's my mentoring moment is, I think we talk about how we need to be kind to other people, especially now when there's so much hatred and so much division. 
But yet we do these small things. And so we march and we do all the great things, the things we should be doing. But then in our normal life, we go back to, and it reminded me too of what my dad would say, we would go to church on Sundays and then we would go into the parking lot and everybody would like run to their cars because to get out of the parking lot, there were a lot of cars lined up. And my dad would be like, I don't get it. We just went to church. And everything that we just learned, everyone forgot the moment they wanted to be first in line to get out of the parking lot. So that's my mentoring moment is let's just be kind to each other and let's think about it when we're being re- when we're doing these stupid things that really aren't that important. It's just not worth getting upset about. I completely agree with that. I have seen that happen even in my in my own life where people were, oh, well, let's like kind of not be that nice to that person or not that welcoming to that person just because they, you know, we weren't used to them. You know, it's like what's wrong with getting used to another person or getting to know another person? So I totally understand that story completely. Um, but and it's, and it's funny because a lot of times we feel like we're, oh, we're adults now. We won't behave like we're in high school. But Sometimes we still fall back into that. It's just really, you, and you, when you're watching it, you're watching it and you're like saying, really? This is a Pilates class. I mean, this is New York City. There are hundred, I understand we love this Pilates class, but it really is a Pilates class. And I think that replies you know, to so many things in mm-hmm. life. So I want to hear your mentoring moment story. Yeah. Well, I have a lot of different things that have happened to me throughout the years. Um, But one of the biggest ones actually happened when I was in high school. And um, me, myself, I don't really come from that nice of a background, so to speak. I have, you know, a lot of, you know, not so great things that happened to me as a child. And as I get into high school, I had a teacher who was actually my video production teacher. His name was Mr. Allen. And he really liked putting people in groups to do group work. And there was a few times where there were people that had a bit of the stronger egos inside of the group that was me and and that was with me. And I'm a person who always likes to be the leader of like the groups in like elementary school when the teacher did Paris and groups I always wanted to be the leader and like delegate like oh you're great at drawing you should do this part and you're great at writing you should do this part and it was kind of something I really enjoyed and I remember I, I went up to my teacher and I said I don't know if I could work with these people they're all they all want to be the leader and so he told me well a way that you can be the leader is actually stepping back and allowing them to take charge and use their leadership skills. And I remember thinking like, huh, I guess that's true. You know, a real leader would allow people to use their strengths, use their skills and allow them to shine and not have to be the one that's always shining. Me always wanting to be the one that shined was actually dimming other people's shine. And that's not the way a true leader behaves. A true leader really wants everybody on their team to shine. Um, I currently have 10 people who work for me and I love it when they're shining now. And I really feel the only reason why I think that way is because my teacher told me to be a true leader. You have to let the others, others showcase their skills too. Yes, you know, I think we've we've heard for so long that I, I think sometimes we don't really internalize or do something with it, that you really do want smarter people around you. Mm-hmm. And I know we say that, oh, yeah, we want smarter people around us. But then I think a lot of people don't actually follow through on that. They mm-hmm. say it, but then it's they feel threatened by having somebody smarter 
Mm -hmm. around them. Yeah. When I feel that even with my team, I have people on my team who have such strong skills compared to what I have. I'm like, you should be running this ship, you know, like you're amazing. And I'm glad I have those people around me. And if you think about, you know, uh, Thomas Edison, he didn't really invent the light bulb. He just had a group of people around him that were very, very, very smart that led that to become created and become invented. And he did that with tons of his other inventions. It wasn't him particularly he just happened to be the leader of the group and was bringing up all these other people so they can shine and they can produce the stuff that they wanted to invent um so i really feel it relates you know in business it relates in our personal lives even with our friends i feel sometimes with like groups of friends which this happened to me a lot as a kid there'd always be people where i felt were you know, they were always trying to be the leader of these groups. And I feel maybe because maybe in TV shows, it's always like, oh, the leader is like, they're the popular kid and they're like the most special kid. Um, and I feel like that's like part of our society. It's like ingrained into, into society just from TV shows and things like that. And so I feel like it, it was a really important lesson that I needed to learn while I was in high school. And this was my freshman year, you know, and I was, and I was able to use that throughout high school and, um, by my senior year. And even though I was a person who was made fun of a lot, who was the weird person with a giant pink mohawk, uh, and a lot of the kids' parents wouldn't even let their kids hang out with me because I thought I was a bad kid because uh, of your hair color? because of the way I dressed and you know like my my mom was a li- lot more flexible <laughs> you know with what we can the, we were allowed to do um and I ended up becoming the vice president of my class and the reason why is because I had leadership skills and I'm so grateful that I had a teacher that was able to to show me what it really meant to be a leader and I and this is something I know for sure so I want everybody to take a note here you have to give up control because when you do, other people, there, as you just said, Kimra, their ideas will shine through. And you don't always have the best ideas. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of time as a control freak, speaking for myself, you think, not so much that I don't value other people's ideas, but sometimes you think, if I want to do it right, I'll do it myself. Mm-hmm. But it's, that is such a, I don't do that anymore. That's something I'm done with. But I used to think that. But it's so wrong. I mean, that thinking is so wrong because there are people that are smarter than me in different areas. I'm smart in a lot of areas, but there are people who are smarter than me. And once you give up that control, that's when the magic starts to happen and people do start to rise and they find their potential and then they bring other people. And so it just keeps going. But it's being able to be confident enough to give up the control. Yeah. And sometimes that that can take a bit of work as well. I know there was definitely still things throughout the years where it's like I tried to control and I tried to control. Um, but most of the time I couldn't even control it. Like I had to let go and had to just be like, you know what, I'm just going to hire a person to help me with this. Or I'm just going to get or ask for help. Sometimes even just asking for help can be difficult. And, and I knew that I had to, to let go of certain things or else I would not be able to either have the business I have or even parent as well as I can and things like that if I wasn't letting go and letting somebody else take the lead on certain things. Like cleaning the house. I'm not good at that. Right. Like I really needed to hire a maid. Like it's just not my skill set. My desk is like the most unorganized desk you'll ever see in your life. My assistant has to straighten it like five times a day because it's she straightens it. Ten minutes later, it's a wreck. I know that's not my skill, 
and I am totally happy having somebody else that does have the organizational skill do that for me. Um, so it, it reflects in a lot of things um, when it comes to, to being a leader and just in letting things go and letting other people help you and assist you. And what is your number one skill? Number one skill is community community building, um, networking with people, connecting with people. That's something that was pretty natural for me, even in elementary school. It's like I was the one that would be like getting everybody on the same page. And like, I can see you being the yeah, cheerleader. So yeah, yeah, of, I was, of yes, ideas. yes, I was like a cheerleader of ideas. Exactly. And, and like I said, that's why I was able to become the vice president of my class and like lead people um, because I always I always focus things around community. After high school, I started booking concerts for a living and it was and I come from a small town. I come from Nampa, Idaho. And, and in my town, it was like, oh, all the punks are united. You know, like it was it became a community thing. And then even now in my current business, my community is called Freedom Hackers. And my group now has 40,000 members. And it's because I know how to fa- facilitate communities. I also have moms groups that I facilitate. I have health and wellness groups I facilitate. And so I'm kind of this group facilitator person. And that's that's been a strength of mine since I was little. And I'm glad I'm still able to use that even nowadays because I think sometimes we forget that something we're good at when we were a kid we're actually good at now and it can apply to what we're doing currently and so how is it though that your your skill is building communities what is the skill that gives you that talent that you have that makes you that community builder I think empathy is one thing I'm able to understand people and what their wants are um, being able to listen which is kind of funny because I'm not as great of a listener like just talking to people face to face I'm a much better listener listener when I'm seeing things written online. So inside of like my Facebook group, I can kind of read between the lines of how somebody is actually like feeling and, and what they're going through. And and I think because as a kid, I, I went through so many horrible things. I'm now able to have so much empathy for people and that helps people feel much more connected to me and e- even able to op- more open up to me because they're like, oh, Kimra's understanding. And I, I know that that was a skill set that I had to work on. As an adult, I didn't have much understanding. And when I started booking punk bands and these people were from all over the world, it's like my perspective started just growing and growing and growing. Um, You know, from being in a small place in Idaho, it's much different. Like the real world is much different than Idaho. Really? Yes. Yes. It's much different. And right after high school, I moved to Seattle and I started learning about all these people. And then I moved to LA and it was like, I had to expand my mind in order to get that, that real understanding and be able to keep growing communities like I am now today. So I have a lot of questions and I think they'll get answered if I ask this question. <laughs> Let's take us take us through. So you were bullied in school. You you grew up on welfare, right? Yes. Okay. So you were so you had you were bullied, you were the poor kid, and now you're you're with rock bands and you're booking rock bands. <laughs> then what happened? Then the economy crashed. So, so you're booking rock bands. Are you making a good living? I made that? a pretty good living okay. doing that. Yes. Um, I ended up spending most of the money on traveling. Luckily, I didn't get into any of the bad stuff, which most people get into when they start making um, money at a pretty young age because I was only 18, 19 at the time. And um, so I did spend it all on traveling, which I felt really great about because I know I learned so much from all the travels. Um, and then in 2008, 2009, the economy crashed. And at the same time, I became pregnant with my first son. And I ended up 
moving in with my in-laws. And you were how old? I was 23. So 23, I'm living at my in-laws, first baby's about to come. And, um, you know, it was a really rough time because as a kid, like, you know, like you said, I, I was raised on welfare, raised in poverty. And then I had something that was successful. And then I was back to poverty again. So me and my husband, neither of us were able to get jobs and we applied to all the jobs. Um, so we end up on welfare, um, and we were on welfare for four years before we were able to get off of welfare. And finally my husband got a stable job and we were, you know, able to provide for our family. And after that, um, point, I now had my second son. So two kids living at my in-laws, no money, no car, like pretty much no nothing except for, you know, a roof over our heads. And I very lovely in-laws. So that's, that was a good thing. <laughs> um, and, uh, that helps. yes, that helps a lot. And my husband gets this job and he moves to North Dakota and it is for FedEx. So he becomes a FedEx driver and we were like, yes, finally a stable job. We can get out of this, you know, rut we've been in for the past four years. And I didn't want to go to North Dakota. So <laughs> he moved up there and worked there for six months while me and my, my two um, boys stayed in California with my in-laws. After six months, you know, we're starting to miss my husband quite a bit. Um, he had bought a used car. We're like, oh, my gosh, I can have our first car. And then he was like, there's some jobs in Virginia. Would you want to move to Virginia? I'm like, okay, North Dakota, Virginia, I'll, I'll pick Virginia. So my husband and I made a pretty big risk moving clear across the country, away from all of our friends, all of our family, um, no support over there. It was like just us. Got our first apartment and we, you know, we're finally like, oh, we're paying the bills now. Like it was, it was stable. We were barely paying the bills. We were paying them. And then because I didn't have much friends and family and I'm a pretty social being, um, I decided I wanted to start a blog and I had already had um, a health and wellness like mommy's Facebook group that I'd been running off my phone, off my cell phone. <laughs> so um, I decided – didn't have a computer. Because I didn't have a computer. <laughs> so I was like – I love this story. Okay. So I had no computer. So I, I tell my I, – or I asked my husband, do you think it would be okay if we got an iMac? And he's like, well, I don't know if we have any money for one right now. Um, maybe when we get our tax return, because back then we actually got money back from the government. Right. Before you became a millionaire. <laughs> before, before I grew my business. Um, and he, I was, he was like, yeah, we can get one. And I was like, and he's like, why? And I was like, well, I want to start a vlog. And he's like, Okay, so we get this iMac, and I start my, my mommy blog, which was called The Misfit Mama. The Misfits are my favorite punk band, um, so, you know, it was, it was very fitting. Um, and I start blogging about just health and wellness stuff, essential oils, like how to feed your kids healthy diets, and like all sorts of things like that. And um, it started growing really rapidly. And within eight months, it was like eight, nine months, I had reached the point where my website was getting over 100,000 unique views a month. And one of our family friends who had been an online marketer for many years, since like the 90s, he's been doing online stuff. And he messaged me on Skype just out of nowhere and was like, hey, I saw like you were doing like your blog thing, like on Facebook. Like, how's that going for you? And I said, actually, it's going really pretty, pretty good. I got like 100,000 unique views last month. And he's like, 100,000 unique views? 
what are you doing? Google ads or something? Like, what's going on? I said, no, that was all free. I did, I did it on Pinterest and Facebook. And he's like, oh, you need to teach my audience how to do this, right? So I was like, okay, I guess I could do that. He's like, oh, but we're going to do the presentation tomorrow. It's on a Google Hangout. I do them every Wednesday. I'm like, um, okay. I've never done any sort of presentation at all. And so I do this presentation. I didn't even know how to make, you know, slide presentations. It was just on like a Word document, <laughs> like everything written on a Word document. And I show these people everything I know about Pinterest. And at the end of the presentation, there were people emailing me, like wanting to work with me and hire me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like what is going on? Like, and everybody just loved my presentation. So I decided that that became like my love. The teaching became my love. And I started to enjoy sharing all the knowledge that I had accumulated. So, um, I decided to scrap my mommy blog. Cause I was like, my mommy blog is getting me lots of traffic. I'm growing a community, but it's not making me any money. So <laughs> done with the mommy blog. I want to teach people stuff because I know if I teach people stuff, they'll want to pay me for it. Obviously they wanted to pay me when I did right. this webinar. Right. So I, I scratch everything and I start my current website, which is freedomhackers.com. And I start that on, um, it was May, 2014. I start this and it started growing very rapidly within my first few weeks. I had already made $10,000, which was very huge because my husband was only making like 2000 a month. So I was like, I just made like five times more than you in so like you, a few weeks. So you like, made $10,000. Yes. And then I asked him to quit his job because right. <laughs> I was like, I need to get more clients. Like I need more customers. Like, you know, you got to quit your they're, job. If I build it, they will come. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. I built it. Now they, they're yes, coming. They're, they're coming. Like, let's like, let, let me keep doing this. And he's like, okay, you know, we're jumping all in. And, you know, when we did that, our, a lot of people have asked me like, well, didn't you have like a fear? Like, you know, like you, you, would, you weren't even like super established yet. You'd only been in business like very short amount of time. And I said, you know what? I was like, at that point, all I could do was keep leaping. There was really no other, unless I want to stay stuck just paying the bills, then, you know, what else would I been able to do? Like I had to leap, I had to take a risk. And I, I'm pretty, pretty lucky that I have high risk tolerance. Like I can take huge leaps and it's not as super stressful for me. It is more stressful for my husband though. The only thing that kept it not so stressful is my husband believes in me a lot. And he was like, you know what, if this doesn't work, it'll be okay. We'll both get jobs at Target and we'll be perfectly fine. Whatever. You know, because we'd already been in worse situations. You know, it's like, you know, what could be worse? Is it, do you think that, I think that a lot when people have been at rock bottom, you're, you're a much bigger risk taker because you realize how much further down can I go? It's that fear of being there. Once you're there, it's kind of, how, how much worse can it get? I'll take yeah. this risk because the ROI is huge. If it works, it's great. If it doesn't yeah. work, been there, done that, I'll figure it out. Yeah, exactly. And and you have to have that belief that everything will work out in the end. I mean, even when I was on welfare, I had great family. I had great friends and people that I connected with. Like there were people that are way, way worse off than that. And I have to remember all the times of things that I can be grateful for, even when 
times were technically rough and it was my rock bottom, so to speak, you know, there was still good things in that. And I always know, like, it doesn't matter what's going to happen. There's still always good things. I just have to look for the good things and appreciate the good things. So, so yeah, so I start this business after three months, I launched my signature program, which was called be true brand you. I ended up making $65,000 in sales within a month of that program. I hadn't even created the program yet. I just had a sales page and I was just pitching to people and I was like, Oh, I'll just create it as so I go. So you as had I go no along. PowerPoint presentation. No, there, no I didn't. I didn't I have, this is no, great. I love that. Cause I, I hate just, PowerPoint. Pres- I hate decks. I hate decks. <laughs> yeah. I do like them now, but that's only because I have an assistant that puts them together for me. Um, I just used, I use this app. It's called Evernote and I would just write up all my ideas right? on that. I use Evernote. And that's still what I, that's still like what I did. And, and so I draw stick figures. I love to draw stick figures and tell my story. It's like, here are five, <laughs> people and I'll make women with curly hair and it's like and they went to the store and I'll move them around <laughs> that's awesome but yeah so so I write everything up on Evernote and I I would just do presentations on topics of things that I knew and that was how I pitched people into my program I said hey this is the stuff I know come and join my program and they they came. And so, like I said, I made 65,000 in sales on the first ever, it was like the first launch, so to speak. Um, cause an online world, oftentimes, like if we have a digital program, we close the doors to something. So I did like this launch and I closed the doors on a certain day and, and did, did pretty well. Then I opened the doors up for, um, black Friday, which, um, ended up making me 40,000 in a day. So I was like, Holy freaking cow. Like people really <laughs> want this program. And, but that was just proof. I needed like real proof I was like is this a fluke you know like I have to just test it and see if it, because I also ended up pregnant when that launch when that 65k launch happened so I was like I really need to start making some money if I want to have a nanny like and I gotta move back to California my midwife is over there like all this like and move is really expensive so I was like you know I gotta really be making some money right so I made I made over six figures within like five months of being in business. Um, so I'm pregnant now. We moved back to California. We were living in Virginia in this little town that had 5,000 people. I moved back to California where my in-laws live in um, Riverside area. And I, you know, meet my midwife and I'm so excited because I'm having this third baby. But I was like, I got to do like a big launch because I was like, I am going to have a nanny. Like I want a nanny so I can keep running my business. I have three kids. There's no way I can run my business without a nanny. You know, I have all these students. So I decided to put together a launch and in February, 2015, I ended up doing $750,000 in sales of my program in a two week period of time. This was mind blowing. It's still mind blowing for me. Mind blowing for me. I was doing this from my bed, doing webinar presentations that were written up on Evernote. People would ask me like, "Oh, where are the slides?" I was like, "Uh, "I'm like pregnant and like nauseated. I'm not sitting here making slides all day. Like you're crazy. Like I just wrote all this stuff up and that's my presentation." People loved it. Like, and I think partly the reason why they loved it is because I I didn't have to wait for things to be perfect. I just did it. And that showed other people they don't have to wait for everything to be perfect either. So I ended up doing this 750K launch. My goal was to do 200,000, but I'll take the 750K, you know. Um, So then I had to start hiring more team members. That was when I was like, okay, I need to get some virtual assistants in here. And and over time, I started hiring more people. And then, of course, we ended up hiring a nanny after the baby was born and and things like that. But, I mean, it was really kind of just mind-blowing to me that that would happen. 
so then I start traveling a lot to New York City, and um, I start doing a lot of events with my publicity coach, Selena Sue, and, you know, I start getting offered all these speaking gigs and stuff because everybody want, is wanting to hear my story. Like, this, you know, pregnant lady just all of a sudden, like, you know, came in the online space and, like, blew everything up, right? So I, um, so I decide I want to move to New York City. And people are like, you guys are crazy. You have three kids. I want to move to New York City. And I'm like, yeah, we could do it. I was like, even if we just stay for a few years, like it'll be a really great experience for all of us. So we ended up moving to New York City in um, October of 2016. Yeah, the end of October, early November 2016. And then I do a launch in February, just a few months after that. And I ended up doing 1.2 million in sales. And this was like, what the hell is going on? You know, like it just, it's been like, it's like doubled, you know? And, and I haven't seen people in business do that, but I feel the reason why is because I've always just been myself. Like I don't, I'm not like some super amazing salesperson. I do not have any sales training whatsoever at all. I just share what I'm good at. I'm like, Hey, this is what I teach. If you like what I teach, you'll get even more of this in my program. But do you ever feel like an imposter? Do you ever feel like an imposter? No, because I know, I know my right. stuff, you know, I think I, that's the important part. I, I know it, but you believe in yourself and that's where yes. I see a lot of, and I, I used to suffer from the imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. I don't any longer, but I used to, I see a lot of women who, when you don't have that like, strong belief, right. And who am I to know this? I mean, when you had your first, when you had that first success of the $10,000, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would say, I need to keep testing this. And I think they would get that advice from many mm-hmm. mentors, yes. right? Yes, they would. Keep testing it. Keep testing it. That might have been a fluke. So do it over here. Do it over here versus saying, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes that's like actually doubt where people are just like, oh, I need to test it. I need to test it more. I need to test it more. Oh, we need to do this little tweak before they can like do something big. And I'm just like, yeah, you can do that. But if you just keep doubting yourself over and over again, you're just telling the universe that you doubt it. Right. And you're not telling the universe that you really, truly believe in it. And I knew I could change people's lives. I have many students who are now multiple six-figure earners. One of them has made over half a million in the past year. Okay, so, so I, I'm signing up. <laughs> Before you leave today, I want you to look at what I do and say, okay, here's what you're not doing. Okay, Here's the part you're missing. <laughs> so, I mean, I know that it works. And when I have students every single day telling me, oh, my gosh, Kimra, my passion is back. Like one of my students, she's actually a fashion teacher and she joined my program. She was getting so burnt out from all the teaching and grading things and, and all this stuff. And she's, she's like, Kimra, I have my passion back. I care about my teaching again because of your program. And it's those little things that matter. It doesn't matter if she becomes a millionaire. She wants to love what she does. And that's what Be True Brand You is about, is about creating a brand around something you love. So you care, you, when you're doing something you care about and you're serving people, like it doesn't matter how much money you make because you feel good doing it. And I think we need more people who are able to feel good at their, doing their work rather than feeling like, oh, got to punch in today and, you know, oh, got to keep my job because of the, I have insurance or whatever, right, right. you know, when really they can be doing something that they really, truly, truly care about. One of my other students, I love her story because she's like, I'm just a mom. What could I offer people? And she actually started making programs where she teaches moms like how to like organize their day and like how to like, um, you know, like keep track of things like with their family stuff and how to keep track of their family budgets and finances and all this stuff, just all the stuff she naturally did. And she now has a six figure business doing that. And she was like, 
all I, she's like, I was just a mom, like just a mom. She's like, I didn't have any corporate skills. She's like, I was a mom from the time I was 18 years old and that's all I ever was. And she's like, I was able to use those skills and now I'm able to serve other moms and help other people. And I really hope that anybody listening to this can recognize that they have the skills to create something that's of their dreams, whether it is a business or even at their own job, to be able to help the business that they're, you know, or company they're working with, you know, create change in this world and and help people and serve people better. Yes. And I wanted you to tell your story because it is so inspiring. And I really wanted you to have that this time to tell it because I think that we need to be inspired. I wish people could see you in the passion that you have when you're speaking and talking about what you're doing and the love that you have for it. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is that's so hard to find. We all have it. We all, you know, whenever I, on, on the podcast recently was Drew Kataoka. She is an artist and a, a technologist and she does virtual reality and the way she sees things are just so different. Mm-hmm. And she has a special skill that some of us don't have, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not artists the way that she is, but she made the point that each one of us is an artist and a technologist. We just don't find it within ourselves. It's there. We're just burying it. And that takes me to being inspired. The other night you and I were having a conversation, Kimra, and you were saying that right now people really need inspiration. They need to be inspired. And I think we all need to remember that, you know, even going back to my mentoring moment and saying that we have to realize what's important. And we need to be inspired. We need to inspire other people. We need to do the things that are the right things and, and finding that passion. And it's, that is contagious. That is something we do want to be contagious. And now we're going to do I'm Done With That. Everybody knows that February is the shortest month of the year. But at Podcast One, we aren't taking any breaks. We've got a boatload of new shows coming your way this month. Like two from Forbes, Under 30, and The List. Or Postmortem with Mick Garris. And Clipcast, the official unofficial podcast of the L.A. Clippers. But we're not done. Still to come this month, The Raven Effect from Pro Wrestler Raven. A little bit of Growing the Dynasty with Jeff and Jessica Robertson. Plus, in upcoming weeks, shows from Kim Zolchak, Dina Tori Spelling, The Retronauts, and many more. To get more details, go to podcastone.com now. Podcastone.com. It's the semi-annual sale at Mattress Firm. For a limited time, get huge savings of up to $500 on our top-rated mattresses. We have more than 15 beds with over four-star ratings on sale store-wide. Like our fan-favorite Sleepy's Firm Queen mattress, now just $2.99. You won't find this deal anywhere else. But hurry in, this sale ends Tuesday. Your budget stretches further at Mattress Firm. Restrictions apply. Valid at participating locations only. For offer details, visit mattressfirm.com sale. Now back to Mentoring Moments with Denise Rastari. So I'll share, so it'll give you some time to think, Kimra, of what you're done with. One of the things that I've been done with for a long time, but I was reminded that a lot of young women aren't done with, so I want to share this one is, I'm done with looking for Prince Charming. Whether that's work, a partner, so whatever it is that I'm looking for something to save me. I'm so done with being saved. And... And what we have to realize is we are our own Prince Charming, that we don't want someone to save us, we don't need someone to save us, and that when you get out of that mode of I need somebody or something to save me, then the people and the organizations, whatever you attract to your life, they're your equals. And they're not saving you, they're contributing, just like you're contributing 
to them. So that is what I'm done with, looking for Prince Charming. And my husband will be very happy that I'm done with looking for Prince Charming. But, but And I will say this in the right way. He is Prince Charming, but not to save me. <laughs> Awesome. And I totally agree with that, too. Um, I met my husband when I was 20 years old and it was when I wasn't looking, you know, like it, it was I just had to be myself and he would come, you know, and and he didn't need to save me. It was just it was just really, really magical. Um, so, yeah. So the thing that I'm done with is I'm done hiding. And some people might look at me and be like, Kimra, you're not hiding. You're like way, you know, outgoing and you're like in the public spotlight or whatever. Um, But I mean hiding in the sense of, you know, not sharing the deepest things like with inside of me, the things that are more vulnerable, the things that are more authentic. And I get people all the time who are like, Kimra, your your business, you're, you're so authentic. And I still feel there's more layers of that. I feel we kind of have layers of this vulnerability that we don't necessarily let go of some of those things. And I know that the more vulnerable I can get this year in 2017, that's basically my, my word of the year is, is vulnerable because I feel like we're in a time where most people are putting these masks up. They're using social media and showing these, you know, wonderful relationships with their husband and all their friends and doing all this stuff. And but really, they're just not happy inside. And I feel like the more I can be vulnerable, the more that might be able to help somebody else as well find out like, okay, there's still things I need to be working on. And and we're comparing we're starting to compare ourselves, you know, to all these perfect Instagram posts and the perfect, you know, the perfect Pinterest mom. And even I compare myself to them. I had made a post on Facebook that was like, I can't believe these Pinterest moms and how perfect their birthday parties for their kids look. It's like, who the heck has even time to do that? And so I find myself even comparing and I feel like that might be another thing I'm done with too is I'm, I'm done comparing myself to the, those perfect Instagram uh, accounts and those perfect you know Pinterest blogs and and things like that because I know that most of the time they're they're not really real they probably had to take 18 pictures before they got one good one and you know I feel like it's it's finally it's time for that and it does go back to the inspired part is I want to start looking for people that are being vulnerable and are being authentic and spend my time being inspired by them um, rather than being inspired by the people that are just perfect because that's not real. Right. And you are at the right place since we are all about being vulnerable. As a matter of fact, we've coined the V-bomb. We're dropping our V-bombs on mentoring moments because you, that, that's the only way we're going to help each other mm-hmm. is to really tell these stories. And they're not to be embarrassed by. I mean, th- these are things that have happened. So if we can help other people. One of the things I'm seeing on Facebook is I'm seeing less of the perfect life because of everybody you're writing about the protests and the marches and everything mm-hmm. that's going on in real life. That now when you see that picture of the perfect life, you're, you're looking at a kind of like, really? I mean, all this is going on and you're putting up the picture of, it's kind of you know, that whole picture of, and here I am in my dress going out to dinner. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be going out to dinner and we shouldn't be doing those things we should. But I, I'm looking at things now and saying, I wonder if that'll switch, if people will stop doing less or is it just temporary? Yeah, I wonder that too. We had that One of my friends was having a discussion on Facebook that was about this. Like, should we keep posting about like protest stuff or should we go back to posting about our cats and our dogs? and our little kids running around the house with paint all over their faces. Like, 
should like and I'm like well I've kind of always done a little bit of both anyway so I don't feel like it's it's like it really fits me because my I've always been a person that you know I post things about social change but I also post things about my personal life also it's always been a combination um but I do feel like we do need a balance um because we can't have every single post being something that's maybe making us upset right and it's depressing Uh, I mean it's like this black hole of depression it's like holy shit I mean this is what's going on and that's why we need that inspiration right. pieces. That's why we need more people sharing inspiring things and, and sharing inspiring stories because that can help up, uplift us out of that depression and that scariness and that fear that is happening in the times that we're in. Mm-hmm. And someone the other day said to me, you know, maybe you should have guests on that are talking about all the different points of what's going on. And so in in the political arena. And I was like, I want the podcast to be inspiring, not Mm -hmm. to be a version of CNN or Fox news, depending on which side you're on. Right. It's like, I want to, I just don't want to talk about what's good. I mean, I want to talk what's going on in the world, how it impacts us, but I want it to be that inspiration. How do we help each other? How do we lift each other up? And not in the Pollyanna ish way of Mm -hmm. let's put rose colored glasses, but in that vulnerable way of saying, here's Mm -hmm. where we are and here's where we need to get to. Yeah. And I saw a post today where someone was talking about like, well, what is this communication that's going on in in Facebook? And I I think it's where we have all these people communicating. There's a billion people who use Facebook. I don't even know how many posts there are a day on average on Facebook, but it's a lot. And so we have all of these people posting on Facebook, but we don't know how to communicate in a way that is inspiring, that is compassionate, that has empathy, that has true connection in it. And it's partly because we have used the last 20 years where we're basically just guinea pigs of what this social media experiment is. Um, And now we live in a time where we can find inspiring things so easily at our fingertips. I remember when I was in high school, I really loved, you know, like like things about positive thinking. I didn't even know where to find it in the library though like I was like where do I find books about like I remember asking the librarian where do I find books that are about like thinking more positive and she was like um, like she, she just didn't even <laughs> right. know, there's you no know, they were like, positive, right? Oh, there's like spiritual books over there. I said, no, not spiritual books, like positive thinking books. And, and she just didn't even know where to point me. And, and like I said, I'm from a small town. So it's like, I didn't even, we didn't have a bookstore in our town. You know, it's like, all you had was the library. So I was like, okay, like, what do I, like, what do but I maybe do? Maybe that's why you are who you are today, right? Mm-hmm. That you, you are just very, your whole being is very positive and very inspiring. And that's what's so great about your story because you could have gone the other way. Mm-hmm. You could have been, I'm a victim, yeah. but you didn't do that. And now we're going to do takeaways. Takeaways. All right. Mentoring moments. Mentoring moments. Takeaway. So it's takeaways. And we've asked people, I've crowdsourced and said, I, we were doing the podcast and I asked them to give us questions that they want to ask us. Here's the top one. Kimmer, you work with a lot of people. What are the things that you see that holds them back? And what are the tips you have to help them stop doing that? There's a lot of things. Um, One of the biggest, I feel, is procrastination. But it's procrastination coming from multiple different places. It could be a fear of success a fear of failure, um, a fear of what are people going to think of me? And so there's all these underlying fears that people have when they first get in the online space, particularly because once you're in the online space, people are looking at you. It's like, Oh, people like saw my post about that. You know, they saw my blog post, like, Oh my gosh, or they saw my YouTube video. And so 
you have to be able to get to the place where you always focus on serving and who is the end person that your post is going to serve or your YouTube video is going to serve. Because if you're always thinking about me, 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 and all of your fears, you're not going to get out there at all. Your message won't come across. And another big mistake that happens too is they focus on, I'm just going to create content that's going to make me money. And that's one of the kind of big no-nos in the online space, unless you're selling like physical products like jewelry or something. But if you're selling a service or you want to sell digital stuff, you, you want to be able to give value first because right now people have to know, like, and trust you before they make a decision. But if you're not giving that value first, then how are they ever going to make a decision on, you know, if you're a great person to work with. Right. And I feel like, it holds people back because they're like, well, I'm giving too much value or I'm not giving enough value. Like how do I find this balance? And it's really like, just freaking get out there, you know? And there's sometimes I have to give some of my students a little swift kick in the butt because I'm like, Hey, like you've been sitting on this project for so long, you know, you're not serving anybody by sitting. You're not serving anybody by procrastinating. And if you truly are telling me, these are the people I want to serve. These are the people I want to help yet you're still not doing anything to do that, then maybe that's not really true. How am I going to believe it when you say that? You know, because you're telling me one thing, but you're not doing it. And um, Napoleon Hill's book called Think and Grow Rich, the first chapter is decision. And in this book, it goes through like all the steps and processes of, you know, what it takes for like to be like a wealthy person and not necessarily just wealthy and like money wise, but in just your health and life and happiness. And the first part is decision. And you have to make a decision of what you want. You're like, hey, I want to serve these people. But you also have to have the action that goes with that. And he talks about that in that chapter where it's like, if you're not taking action, you haven't told the universe that you really want that. You're just, you know, oh, I'm coming up with ideas and just like, oh, I'm brainstorming more things. It's like you've done like 19 brainstorming sessions. Take the action now. You already know what to do. There's oftentimes online entrepreneurs, they'll, they'll approach me and say, Kimra, like, you know, I, I need help. I'm stuck. And I'll say, well, what is one thing that you could do right now that can get your business That's moving? That's a critical question. Yeah. Because it what, breaks it down, yeah. right? Yeah. What's the one thing? And they'll tell me and I'll say, well, why aren't you doing that right now? And they're like, oh. So they often know what to do. Right. Is it fear? I find that a lot. I feel that the underlying thing is the fear and it's not just, and it's multiple types of fear. There's different, like it ranges from different people. And I feel like once you jump out there though, the fear starts to to diminish because once you get that client and you're serving them and they're having great results, you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm actually not that bad at this. (laughs) Like I'm pretty good at this. I can really help people. And then you start serving more people and more people and more people. But if you're not getting out there at all, you can't, you can't get that client. And if you get that first client and they have great results, that only, that fuels you. And that makes you lose that doubt. The doubt just starts to diminish. People ask me often, like how, like, how did you not doubt yourself? What, what happens when you doubt yourself? And I'm like, I'm right now I'm pretty much taking too much like action. I'm taking action, action, action that I don't really have a lot of time to doubt myself. Um, and I see things as like, you know what, if that doesn't work out, it's okay. So I don't see things as like, oh my gosh, that was like a huge failure or a flop if it didn't work. I'm just like, hey, that was a lesson I learned. Move on. 
there's people I can serve over and, here. And here's the thing. That's people it. forget. When I started doing the podcast, people would say to me, you know, that was so brave that you did this and you don't have any experience. I never even listened to podcasts before I did it. And they were like, weren't you afraid of failing? And I was like, what was the worst that was going to happen? The worst mm-hmm. that was going to happen is people weren't going to listen to it. I and mean, that's the absolute worst thing that could happen, right? Mm-hmm. No one's going to die. Yeah. Nothing's fatal. Yeah. But it's that fear of what if no one listens to it? It was mm-hmm. like, well, then I'm doing, I need to do something differently or they need to think differently. I don't, one of the two, right? Maybe mm-hmm. it's me, maybe it's them. I don't know. Maybe it's the platform, whatever it is. But I'm not even going to go there until I do it and find out. Yeah. Because you can't know what the result's going to be until you do exactly. it. Exactly. I mean, it could be great. It could be lousy, but I won't know. And what mm-hmm. is the worst that will happen if it's lousy? Yeah. And that even goes back to like my story when I first started my business and asked my husband to quit his job. What was the worst can, that could happen? We both start working at Target or right. something, you know? That was the and worst. And some days that doesn't sound so bad to me, yeah. I have to tell you. Yeah, some, Target, much <laughs> right. easier. I wouldn't have to make so many business decisions. Right. That's, yeah. that's a good idea. The last yeah. time I had that thought, I was working in a hotel. I was in my 20s, and I, I decided to, I didn't decide to quit. My boss threw a stapler at my head, which is another long story. It's a mentoring moment. I did nothing, not that anybody deserves to have a stapler thrown at them, but I truly didn't do anything. He was just a crazy person. So I quit my job and I become a bartender. And that was the last time I was like, I'm, I don't want any responsibility. I just want to be a bartender. And that was the only job I was ever fired from. So <laughs> there's a moral in that story that we don't have time to go into today. But that thought of, that sounds like it's interesting. I'll do that was the one job I was fired from, the easy quote unquote job. Yeah. And I, I think we have to get to the point where it's like, you know what, when you think about the worst that can happen, it makes it so much easier to take those leaps and, and get in right. forward. And I'm constantly having to remind my students of that. So I like to make lots of inspirational posts inside of my program and send them emails to keep encouraging them because we, we kind of get stuck in our heads. And especially when people are like online at their computer, it's like they're all these links that they can click on and all this stuff. I'm like, no, close down the links and focus on one freaking thing at a time and just do that thing and do it well. You know, you can't just be throwing crap out there, but if you can do something well, people will start to take notice and like, wow, you create, you have great value. What do you do for a living? Oh, oh, you do that. You coach these people on this. Wow. That's awesome. How much is that? Like, I want to get started, you know, and it, it's, it can start happening in this, this easy flow way, but we have to get past that fear. And there isn't one way to get past fear, but one way I do know that works for most people is to actually just take the action. Yes. That works for most people, not for all people, but for most, it's just take that action and that will help them get over the fear. Other people might need a little bit more therapy or might, <laughs> you know, or, or might need to find some sort of spiritual healer or something. Other people might need to find other things, but taking that leap and doing the action helps get them past the fear. And can we, mm-hmm. we could go on. And I, yeah. One thing I am sure of today, that people are listening and saying to themselves, this is my job, but I really want to be... XYZ, whatever it is, I want to be an artist, I want to be whatever, you know, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a technician, whatever it is they want to be, and that you have inspired them to say, I need to go figure out what that is that I want to be and just go do it. So thank you. And before we go, I want to know where I want, we want everyone to find you so they can take this class, they can take your course so they can be just like you and making 
multiple six figures. <laughs> what would be multiple six figures? Um, yes. Yeah, so my website is freedomhackers.com. I have a lot of free trainings on there, great blog posts. I also have a podcast there on there as well. Um, and you can also check out my Facebook group called Freedom Hackers Mastermind. And it is a group with over 40,000 people who are hacking their way to freedom by building online businesses. And some of them have jobs. Some of them are working their way out of jobs. Um, most of them have some sort of online business or even in-person brick and mortar businesses. So if that's you, then it's a great spot for you to hang out. Kimra, thank you so, so much. You're welcome. I'm really inspired now. It's, I have that. I can do anything. I believe in myself more than I did before the podcast started. And I'm really focused, as you all know, so much on taking action. So let's just keep doing it and inspiring each other. And thank you all talking about taking action for joining us today on Mentoring Moments. And to make sure you're getting Mentoring Moments the moment it's live, which is every Wednesday, subscribe on iTunes and rate and review. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. Are you done hiding and not sharing who you truly are? Are you hiding your talents from the world? Because if you are, you're doing yourself and everyone a disservice. And are you a leader who is always in front? Or do you allow others to step up and out? And that applies for our parents as well. Do we allow our children to step up and out as much as we should? And what about Prince Charming, okay? Like, are you done with looking for Prince Charming, you know, looking for someone to save you? Because if you aren't, you really need to be done with it now. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Just say, I am done with searching for Prince Charming. So let me know what you think. You can find me on Twitter, at Denise Rastari. And until next week, keep sharing your stories because your stories matter. Download new episodes of Mentoring Moments every Wednesday at podcastone.com, forbes.com, the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at iTunes. I'm Mick Garris. When it comes to horror, you might know me as a writer, producer, and director, but I also love making people open up. I'm getting together with the most fascinating people in fright filmmaking. I'm going to pick their brains and find out what they know. But if they've got any secrets they're determined to keep, I have ways of making them talk. Download new episodes of Postmortem with Mick Garris every other Wednesday at PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe on iTunes. It's the semi-annual sale at Mattress Firm. For a limited time, get huge savings of up to $500 on our top-rated mattresses. We have more than 15 beds with over four-star ratings on sale store-wide. Like our fan-favorite Sleepy's Firm Queen mattress, now just $299. You won't find this deal anywhere else. But hurry in, this sale ends Tuesday. Your budget stretches further at Mattress Firm. Restrictions apply. Valid at participating locations only. For offer details, visit mattressfirm.com slash sale. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, they are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower that does not appear to be following, following the rule of law, is a serious business. 
He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.